Welcome to Reliance's Sunday Sermon. Worship with us at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Amen. We get to talk about the most exciting topic today. We get to talk about Jesus. Come on. Who wants to talk about Jesus today? Five of us are excited to talk about. Okay. All right. We're going to talk about Jesus today. Uh, we've been in a series called Cultivating Foundations, and this summer what we're doing is we're kind of taking a look at what does it look like to lay the right foundations in our faith. If I were to ask you what do you believe and why do you believe it, would you be able to tell me? Would you be able to tell me what you believe and why you believe it? And so uh, maybe you can, maybe you can't. So we're dusting off some of maybe the things that you learned when you were younger about what foundations of the faith really look like. This is really, really important. Um, and we use the word cultivating. If you remember, cultivating means that you might have to till up the ground of your heart a little bit. You might have to till that ground. To cultivate means breaking up the ground of your heart so that you can plant water and let it grow and so that it will produce something in your heart, a harvest of righteousness. And so what we're saying is we want to be able to cultivate things in your heart so that there is a harvest of righteousness inside of you. Now, we've been talking about why we're so passionate for this, and what you'll see in Scripture over and over and over is this word of growing into maturity. Everybody say, be mature. Be mature. <laughs> be mature. We need to grow into maturity. Here's what Paul is going to tell us. I read this last week, 2 Corinthians 11.3. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, but I'm afraid... That as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So Paul is about as bold as they come. Very few things actually make him nervous. And here's what he's saying. What really makes me nervous isn't that I'm going to get beat or shipwrecked, isn't that I'm going to go to jail. What makes me nervous is that someone's going to try to come in and deceive you and get you off of a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. Someone's going to come in, try to muddle the water a little bit in your heart so that you don't have something pure anymore. You've taken Jesus and you've added to it. And here's what he's going to say. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, not that there is one, but he's going, they're going to proclaim a different way of Jesus. And he says, than the one we proclaimed. Or if you receive a different spirit than the one that you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one that you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Here's what he's saying. There are times when people come in and they speak things that seem off from the word because they are off from the word and we're just kind of like, ah, it is what it is. It's fine. It's not a big deal. That's just what they think, but no big deal. And he's going, don't put up with that. There is a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus that we're after. Yes and amen, church. Amen. So this is where we're at. So last week we talked about all of this stems from having a biblical worldview. It does no good to talk about foundations if you and I first can't, can't just make our minds up and be in agreement that first and foremost, we have to look at the world through the lens of Scripture. 
That the Bible's got to be our foundational base in which we look at, at the world through. If we can agree then that Scripture is where we get it from, then we can move on to our foundations. And what we'll see is the number one foundation and the only foundation that we can build and grow upon is the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's my favorite one. <laughs> and so foundations are really, really Important, And when I think about what we build on or, or, or having the right mixture in these foundations of faith, I, I was going back and as I was writing my message, I was thinking about a moment in my life. In my family, we like to make uh, chocolate chip cookies. Anybody love chocolate chip cookies a little bit out there? And so um, the kids would always say, Dad, could you make us some chocolate chip cookies? And I'd be like, ah, oh, store-bought, right? Mom would do homemade. Dad would do store-bought. But I remember the one time that I was going to try to do them from scratch, I was like, I'm gonna give it my best effort, all right? I don't cook often, and, and so this is gonna be my best, my best option for you guys. And so I started to get all the ingredients out, and I just started dumping all the, because I don't measure, who measures? That's ridiculous. And I'm just dumping all the ingredients, and I'm mixing it, and I, I get them all, and roll them in the bowl, and I put them in the oven. Oh, the smell. Do you guys know what chocolate chip cookie smell is? It's like a piece of heaven, right? So it smells good, and the aroma's filling the house, and the kids are super excited, and they come out, and, and they look good, and they smell good, and they get one, and they bite into it, and they go, oh, dad, these are horrible. They don't even, they don't even taste good. And I'm going back, and I'm like, oh, I forgot to put the sugar in, right? <laughs> the only reason we eat cookies is because they have sugar, Right? I left out the main ingredient of what makes a cookie good, and it's the sugar. Jesus is the sugar of the scripture. He's what makes it taste good. He's the reason that we want it. He's the thing, he's the reason in which we go after it. He's the sugar of the scripture that says, you taste and see that the Lord is good. He's it. When we leave out a foundational thing, what we get is something that may smell good, something that may even look good, but something that's not good. And that's what it looks like when Jesus isn't the foundation that we build everything else upon. Everything hinges on Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, we've shared this before. All of the characters of Scripture that were real people and did real things, they're simply foreshadows of what Jesus would be. Jesus was greater than Moses. Moses led an exodus out of Egypt. Jesus would lead an exodus out of death. Amen? Joshua was a great warrior for the Lord. Jesus would be the greatest warrior for the kingdom of God. Over and over and over, what you see is all of these characters are a foreshadowing of Jesus. All of scripture is built upon Jesus. It's about him. And so in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, when you come to the gospels, the truth that comes to confront our hearts is a word that Jesus has for Peter and the disciples that are standing before them, before him, and he asks this question to them. He says, who do people say that I am? And they all have different you know, things. Some say John the Baptist and, and Elijah and Jeremiah. And then he asks them the pivotal question to their heart, but who do you say that I am? And that question right there is the foundation of Christian faith. It sets everything in its place. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he to you? Who is he from what you know about him in the word of God? And that truth confronts every single heart. You either love him 
or you're out. You're either for him, as he'll say, or you're against him. And there's not really a middle ground in there. He'll talk about the lukewarm life that we sometimes like to have, and he'll say, even in that lukewarmness, what's he say? I will spit you out. You're for me or you're against me. And so as we work through this, there are some things in our faith that we call non-negotiables of the Christian faith. Non-negotiable. These are not things that we're negotiating. It's not like, oh, okay, you can have it or not have it. There are things that are non-negotiables of the Christian faith. And one of those, probably the most important non-negotiable, is that Jesus is our foundation for salvation. Amen. He is. He's our foundation for salvation. And then there are some things that we get caught up in that aren't non-negotiables. They're just different from the way that we were brought up. Like in this room right now, we've got different expressions of people that grew up. Some of you grew up just in straight mainline evangelical churches. Some of you grew up in charismatic churches. Some of you grew up in reformed churches. And yet, here you are in one spot. Some of you grew up Catholic. So you've got this mixture of how we grew up. The way that I look at this is kind of like this. It's like if I were to ask you what the best burger shop is in Wichita, some of you guys would say Five Guys for sure, Five Guys. Some of you would say Dempsey's. It's got to be Dempsey's. Some of you guys would say TJ's. Come on, TJ's. Who's TJ's? Yeah? All right. Some of you say, here's the thing. All three of those are different places, but they all serve the same thing, a big old fat juicy meat patty. Amen? How they make it might be a little different. What they call, whatever, might be a little different, but they all have the same foundation. And so that's like what it looks like when you got the evangelical charismatic, even some of the reform coming in. As long as we've got that same foundation, and I'm going to share this here in just a moment, why this is important. Because there are things that are just outright not of God. There are some things that are just outright not good. And that's what happens when you go to a place that serves a tofu burger. Amen. Come on. Let's go. It's not even meat. I'm just telling you. It's not even meat. That's where you start to delve into. I'm just kidding. If you like tofu, whatever. Right? That's where you delve into things where somebody goes, well, I believe in all roads lead to heaven no matter what you believe. And I'm going, that's just not right. That's just not scripture. That's a universalistic thought universalism, which says it doesn't matter what you believe, somehow we're all going to end up there. Here's the thing. I'm not warring against you in that. The Bible is. It's not that I have a a problem. I'm just telling you I've got to be fervent to the word. That's my lens. Amen? This is what, what it says. And he'll tell you not all roads lead to the Father. One road, Jesus Christ. So the question is, um, how, how do we know what to do with this? How, how do we know what this looks like? How do we know what our foundations are that are negotiable or, or non-negotiable? How do we know that this foundation of Jesus is a non-negotiable? And there are really two verses that I wanna kind of camp out on for just a moment. The first one, and there's a whole lot of others, but the first one is in 1 John chapter four. 1 John chapter four, verse one says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And look what he says, by this you know the spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is foundational, church, for us as believers. Like, it's a declaration that we're declaring Jesus Christ came from God and he is God in flesh. Amen. He's the incarnate God. Incarnate means he wrapped himself in flesh and he stepped down. This is why there are other religions out there who believe that Jesus was a good guy, Jesus was a good prophet, but that he was not God. He was not the son of God. He did not come from God. And we would say, man, that is a false religion. And again, I want to say this to you. It's not that we're saying it. It's what the word of God says. Amen? And we're standing on the truth of the word of God, because many people do have this thought about Jesus. Ah, we like him, he was a good prophet, but he's not the son of God, and according to the word here, we must believe that he was sent from God and is God in flesh. This is so radically important for us, and look, I just wanna say this to you. There's not like gray area in this. Man, I I love you because I love the word enough to say, We can't be like, ah, so you believe a little different than that. It's okay. Like, this is foundational. Amen? Are we good? You can talk with me after. Send me emails. And I want to send some scripture to you if if that's rough. I believe this is so foundational in the world that we live in because in the world that we live in, we don't like to hear those absolutes. Philippians 2.5. Here's what it says. Having the same mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God. So Jesus, in the form of God, stepping down. He's God. Jesus was in the form of God. Did not account equality with God as a thing to be grasped. So he's part of the Trinity. He says, but he emptied himself out. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, so wrapping himself in flesh, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, Therefore God exalted him, bestowed on him the name above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's what he's doing. He's saying, look, I was up there as part of the Trinity. My father sent me down. God steps down, wraps himself in flesh, and it says he empties himself out. Now understand something. When it says he empties himself out, he did not empty himself of being God. Jesus was 100% God, 100% man, amen? That's why his sacrifice would be the perfect sacrifice. It meant he emptied himself out and that he could be tested, he could be tempted, and he would be found without sin. This is important. Colossians 2.9 says, for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. He was 100% God and 100% man. And so we've got this foundation that's got to be Jesus. And then the second one in, in 1 Corinthians 3.10, listen to this. In 1 Corinthians 3.10, it says, according to the grace of God given to me, Paul's going to tell you what, what this looks like. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. So Paul's going, I came in and I preached Jesus and I laid a foundation so that on that foundation you would know that that's the start. And here's what he says. He says, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one, no, everybody say no one. 
can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. There cannot be another foundation. We can't say Jesus and works, Jesus and, you know, this, Jesus and if I'm really, really good, Jesus and. We can't build another foundation than that of Christ Jesus. This is important. Verse 12, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. It'll become clear. The word manifest means it'll become clearly seen. Each man's work become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, they're going to receive a great reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. I want to say this. The only biblical Christianity foundation that we have is in Jesus Christ. He is not merely a part of Christianity. It's not Christianity and Jesus. He is Christianity. Amen? He's it. And then where we build our doctrine and our theology is upon that one foundation. I think many times in the Christian faith, we think Christianity is merely a code of you know, morality or a code of ethics. Well, yeah, Christians are good because they're they, they've got morality. Or Christianity is good because there's some ethics that they have. Look, it's not, a, those things are beautiful, yes and amen to those, but Christianity is about Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying these words, you can't build a foundation outside of Jesus Christ, but you can build on that foundation. <clears throat> and so he says these words, there will be some who come and they'll build with pure gold or they'll build with gold and silver and precious stones. And then some will come and they're gonna build with wood, hay, and straw. And here's how he says it. He says, when the fire comes to test it, pure, or the gold, the silver, and the precious stones, we know when the fire comes, they're still valuable. Meaning they're gonna make it through the fire and still have value to them. But we know that wood, hay, and straw, they don't hold up well to fire. Amen? And so he's saying what you build on that's going to be revealed. The kind of foundation that you have is non-negotiable. It's Jesus Christ. What you build on that, you've got to be careful that you're taking to the word of the Lord. So their, their, their confession of Jesus is the essential part of this. I find this interesting because he's going to say at the end, if they build with the gold and the silver and they build with the precious jewels, here's what he says. When the fire comes and it stands, they'll be rewarded. But the second part really made me, man, interested this week in my studies. He said if they build with wood, hay, and straw and the fire comes, it'll burn up. And they will suffer great loss Though they themselves, what do he say, will be saved, but as through the fire. What we're seeing is this, at the end of the day, it still boils down to our confession in Jesus Christ. We cannot waver from this. Do, do you know that the enemy absolutely loves when there's bickering between the church? He loves when there's division in church, division in Christianity, bickering between these things, because what he wants to do is simply derail you from your foundation. He could care less about your bickering. He wants you to get your eyes off of a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus. So the foundation that we're building on has to be 
Jesus Christ. If we're going then to lay this foundation, the Bible is going to call him the cornerstone. Everybody say cornerstone. So if you are a builder, um, especially uh, back in those days, you would understand in those times of building buildings, builders would have a very large stone that they would call the cornerstone in their construction projects. And the cornerstone was the principal stone. They would set it in the corner and the whole building would have alignment from that cornerstone. It would get its structure and alignment from the right cornerstone that was put in place. It was almost always the largest largest stone, it was usually the most solid stone, and it started the foundation. Uh, the, the cornerstone was set, and it became the determining measurement of all the other things that would be built upon it. Everything would be in alignment to the cornerstone. And Scripture is going to say over and over and over, Jesus is your cornerstone. Are you in alignment with him? If Jesus isn't the cornerstone of your heart, of your life, then what you're going to see is this. I wonder my, 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 my things that I'm building in my life are wavy. I wonder why I can't stay on that path. If the cornerstone is not set right, the building will eventually crumble. Amen. And this is why they're going to say Jesus is the cornerstone of our life. In Isaiah 28, 16 he says, in this prophetic word of who Jesus will be, who, who Jesus will be, he says, I lay a stone in Zion, a, a, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. In the New Testament, Paul's gonna follow up with Ephesians 2.19. You are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief what? In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Why is this so important? It's important because 1 Peter 2, 4 is going to tell us something about Jesus being the stone. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by who? Men. Us. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying again, he says it, he quotes Isaiah, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now there's two problems when it comes to Jesus being the cornerstone in our life. The first problem is simply this. We live in a world that likes to have other possibilities. We live in a world that doesn't like to be pigeonholed into one thing. We live in a world where we want variety, right? We want a variety. We want a variety pack so that we can pick what it is that we like. And so in our world, we've got this variety pack, and we don't like that you're saying you're pigeonholing me into one way. And so what we say is there are many ways in, in our world. The world says there are many ways that lead to the Father, and Jesus says, no, no, there's not. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one, somebody say no one. John 14, no one comes to the Father but through me. Look, if, if you're here, we love you enough to teach you the truth of the foundation of God's word, amen? 
I want you to hear this. So, so what we see is that according to scripture, there is no other way but him. There is no other freedom but him. He'll say it in Romans, the wages of sin is death. There's no other freedom outside of Jesus. And so what I hope you see is not only is he salvation, but he's freedom in salvation. John 8, 36 says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And, and I get that this is not always a positive thing in the world that we live in where we go, oh, just inclusive and, and, and intolerant of, of those other things. But I'm just, I, I want to say it again, there's not gray area in this. It cannot be Jesus and then, oh, my buddy over here, he's got a good way too. If I'm going to love the Lord with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I'm going to love my neighbor, I've got to love them in the way of Christ. Amen? Okay. We good? Like I said, send nasty emails to Ryan Wallace, rwallace at reliancecommunity.com. Um, second reason that we have a problem with this, not only do we like other possibilities, but we don't like Jesus as the cornerstone at times because he reveals that we are the problem. Say, I'm the problem. See, that was muffled. We didn't even like to say it. I'm the problem. Like, I, I'm the problem. No one likes to be told that I'm the problem, but here's what it says in Romans 3.23. All have sinned. Are you part of the all? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what he's saying is, we're not innocent bystanders in this. We're not in, it wasn't that Adam and Eve messed up really, really bad, and I'm just kind of residual, like, well, because you messed up, Adam and Eve, now I've got to suffer too. Like, I'm not an innocent bystander in this deal. And I think that sometimes we have this idea in our head that, because, well, I, I know it, and I don't think, I know it. When you ask people, like, tell me where your morality, your hope comes from, they go, well, I'm a good person. That, like, there's this line in our mind that thinks that I'm a good person, therefore, what Adam and Eve did was terrible, but what I do, I'm really, really good. And I'm just going to say this. I've got four kids, and in those four kids, all of them use a crud ton of dishes, amen? Some use a fork, or some have a plate, or some use a cup, or some use a bowl, and they put them in the sink, and then when we go, hey, it's time to clean the sink and put it in the dishwasher, do you know what happens? It's amazing. It's not my dirty dishes. I'm sorry, did you use a fork? Well, yeah, but they used a cup. It's bigger. Did you use that plate? Yeah, but they used a bowl, and bowls are harder to wash. All of a sudden, their dirty dishes don't seem like they're that big of a deal. You guys know what I'm talking about? So we've got this identity in us where we're like a victim of what Adam and Eve did. We're not a victim. We were part of the rebellion. We were part of the rebellion against God. I'm part of the rebellion against God. When they were eating of the tree, my sin was right there with them. And so what happens is, is we try to separate ourselves out, and then when it comes down to it, here's what I want to hear. I want to hear message of, I'm not the problem, I just need to become a better version of myself. And this is where our preaching has gone. We now preach messages on how to be a better version of yourself. Just get better. Just get better. And here's what Scripture says. Scripture says, no, don't get better. You need to die. And then you need to be reborn in Jesus Christ. Amen? 
Church, I'm passionate for this. I think for too long we've missed out on the power of God because we've got this muddy, watered-down version of the gospel. All of us in this room, we were also, we were born selfish. We were born spiritually dead, as Scripture would say. We all have a part of this human condition of a sin in our heart. So when Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve took a bite of that fruit, there were really four things that were fractured in that one moment. The very first thing and the most important thing is the relationship between God and man was now fractured and broken. We read about that in Genesis 3, 8. Adam and Eve are hiding from the Lord because they feel like their relationship has been fractured. The relationship between man and his fellow helpmate was fractured. Eve's blaming Adam, Adam's blaming Eve, Eve's blaming the serpent. All of a sudden, the unity that they had, what you see now is there's dysfunction in that unity. So we've got enmity between God and man, we've got enmity between man and woman, and then we've also got the bond between man and just nature itself. They're in the garden and they're tending this bad boy and it's good and they're not toiling and they're not sweating. It's easy. And then they sin and scripture says, now thorns and thistles are gonna grow up and you're gonna work it by the sweat of your brow. It's no longer be lion and lamb laying down with one another. You're gonna have to really work this nature thing out. And it's gonna come up and get you. So we've got all this fracturing that's happening. And then lastly, man becomes separated from himself. Now for the rest of life, man is feeling empty. Mankind feeling empty. Mankind is feeling incomplete. Oh, I just feel like I'm incomplete. I've got this longing in my heart. I know there's something more. We try to fill it. We try to fill it with all these things. I'm gonna fill it with, with this. I'm gonna fill it with relationships. I'm gonna fill it with this vice or that vice. And we try to fill that emptiness and that incompleteness. And it's because that's not the way we were created. And then Genesis 3.15 comes along. And we get to taste what it is that's coming our way. After their sin and after the curse, Jesus speaks these words to the serpent. I will put enmity, I will put anger, hatred between you and the woman. He's talking about the enemy, the serpent, Satan. You, you will not like one another. And between your offspring and her offspring, look what he says. He will, he shall bruise, some translations say, he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. He just gave us a picture of Jesus. Jesus is gonna crush the enemy's head. Jesus is gonna crush where the enemy's lied to you. Jesus is gonna crush where you feel like you have no freedom. Jesus is gonna crush your addiction. He's gonna crush the things that have tried to weigh you down and crush you. Jesus is gonna come from the very start of Genesis. Now, throughout the rest of scripture, Jesus is gonna come and he's gonna be the savior of your life. Is that good news? Because this is where we go from here. Now we realize I can't save myself. I can't save myself, I need him. And scripture's gonna say, he's a cornerstone who turns into your atonement. Everybody say atonement. I'm gonna close out with this last word right here. Atonement means to cover the sin, to wipe it out, to remove it. Jesus becomes the sacrifice that removes our guilt and our shame and our condemnation. I love this. One of the most important days in the Jewish calendar was the Day of Atonement. 
The day of atonement was the day, and, and, and you can read about it in Leviticus 16. We don't have time. But the priest would go in one time a year, and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrificed animal over the mercy seat, and it was supposed to wipe out the sins of God's people. The problem is, is they just continue to sin. And so the next year they would do it, and they continue to sin, and the next day they'd do it. Next year they'd do it. It just over and over and over and over again until Jesus comes, and now he becomes our atonement, the sacrifice with his blood spilt on the cross once and for all, that now no longer does the enemy get to hang above your head. You don't measure up. You're no good. God would never want you. That is now gone. Now it's, you are loved. He cares deeply for you. He will give his most prized possession for you. Jesus becomes our atonement through the shedding of his blood on the cross. This right here is why he is our foundation. So the next time somebody comes to you and says, tell me what you believe and why you believe it. You've got now a standard in your life because I was lost and broken and I could not save myself. I was hopeless, I was incomplete, I was longing and I could not find hope. And then Jesus found me not because of something that I did, not because of some way that I lived a little bit better, not because my dishes were a little bit less in the sink. Jesus found me and he changed everything. That's the testimony of your life. That's the starting point. We can talk theology all day long and I love to do that. We can talk doctrine all day long and I love to do that. But if we don't have that foundation, we're missing it. So, who do you say that Jesus is? This is really what it comes down to. Let me take you one more time back to Matthew 16, 13, the very first thing we said. Jesus came to his disciples. He said, who do people say the Son of Man is? Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he looked at them in the eyes and he said, but who do you say? have this moment. He's asking Peter. Peter's like, oh, this is my chance. I've screwed it up so many times, right? Peter makes the confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. When you lay Jesus down as your foundation, there will be a confrontation. Jesus will come to you face to face, eye to eye, and he will say, I know what everybody else says about me. What do you say about me? I know how everybody else lives their life with me. How do you live your life with me? When you come face to face with Jesus, there will be a confrontation, and Jesus will be looking for those words. I know who you are. You are Jesus. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God, sent by God. Jesus is going to say in John 10, 9, I am the door. I am the gate. If anyone enters it, they will be saved. There's going to be a revelation. You're going to have a revelation through the Holy Spirit. Peter makes the confession and Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You didn't understand this because all of a sudden you just became really smart. 
the power of the Holy Spirit gave you grace in that moment, and that grace in that moment revealed who I was. There's going to be a revelation, not just a head knowledge of him. You're going to have a revelation in your heart. I know him. You're going to acknowledge him. Peter says, you are the Christ. There's going to be a confession. Jesus says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you are saved. There's a confrontation. There's a revelation. There's an acknowledgement. And then eventually, you're going to live it out. Jesus is going to say in Matthew 10, 32, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before man, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. There's a public confession. What I mean by public confession, I'm not asking to stand on a corner and shout it from a bullhorn. The public confession is that you're walking around as a transformed man or woman, struggling through some things at times, Still got some sin in your life, amen? I still got some sin in my life. Working through, but I know the source of my strength, the source of my salvation is Jesus Christ. Amen, church? We stand with me today. We're gonna sing this song, and we're gonna close out. And as we sing this song, I want you to picture Jesus standing before you. And he has a question for you. Who do you say that I am? Is he your foundation? Is he your foundation? Then what does that mean to you when he says, who do you say I am? Does your life reflect it? Does your heart reflect it? This is the pivotal moment in which all our faith is built on. And so I wanna pray over you. Father, I pray as we sing this last song together, that in this room, a revelation of Jesus would come to the hardest heart in this place that's denying it, so I don't want it. I don't even want to be here. I don't even know why I'm here. I pray that today your love would overwhelm them. I pray, Jesus, that you would overwhelm them with your grace, overwhelm them with your forgiveness. God, wash over them. Holy Spirit, we trust you today. We honor you, Jesus, as the foundation of this house because you're the foundation of the word. You're the foundation of our faith. So come and have your way, Jesus. You ask the question, who do you say I am? I pray that all of us can answer that in our hearts today. Thanks for tuning in today. To find out how to get more involved, go to reliancecommunity.org. Have a great week.